Hello and welcome to the 25th episode of Karl Marx's 18th premiere of Louis Napoleon Reading Group series. Today is Saturday, 3rd of April 2021 and I'm your host, Tom O'Brien. This week we continue on our swashbuckling adventure through the amazing final chapter. I have the new patrons to thank, Tuxedo Mech, Jared Olison, 9595, William McGrew, Kilcha O'Connor, the returning Alex Welsh, and Lido, who upped his contribution, signed up for a full year's subscription. Last week we had our first session of the new patrons' Fundamental Principles of Communist Production and Distribution reading group. Tomorrow, that is Sunday the 4th of April, we have our second session, where we read the first half of the second chapter, The Social Democratic Revision of Marxism. We'll be starting at 12pm EST, and that is 5pm London time. So if you like the sound of taking part or getting access to all those extra Patreon-only episodes and the Emancipation Network Discord server, head on over to Patreon and throw me a few commie dollar. Your continued support really helps keep the episodes flowing and put food on the table for my starving children. Okay, let's hit it. So, speaking about your um, point about like recreating feudal relationships in in America, I actually haven't read De Tocqueville, which I, I promise I will. But like, I, I was watching American Housewives of Beverly Hills <laughs> with my wife. Oh, oh hell yeah! yeah. yeah that's a and it just shit right there. Years, that's a cross like, cultural exchange. I've been to IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Seriously, but, but like, like what? What hit me was, you know, you you have a nation, like, it, it, so, you know, going through school, we were we were uh, told about like, oh, uh, these rebel colonies and the Boston Tea Party and the wanted to be independent and over, overflowing uh, feudal uh, relationships and being free from the crown. And what do you do? Like the the fucking second. You get rich in America. What the fuck do you do? You go build your own fucking feudal yeah. castle with a out of fucking yeah. plastic or or, or 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 like marble or, and shit. Yeah, and and and, and you buy a, a fucking island and you want to own people. Like it's right. it, it's like we want to be free from British feudalism so that we can do feudalism except worse. And it's like you, 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 you also have like all of these, all of these rich people are related in each other in exactly the same way that like feudal uh, queens and princes or shit are related to each other. Except you don't have anything more than like a sixty year history to base it on. So it's just like, yeah, well, it, 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 it's it's just I like a know. fucking parody of. <laughs> of monarchy. Like all the way down in the society, like. The tabloids that are popular concern, excuse me, popularly consumed are like jerking off over like the British royal family, and then like you know middle class liberals write peons about how like you know the American Revolution was all racist, and if you if we really want to be good anti racist, we should have supported the British side and the you know like like the mm-hmm. whole thing all the way down is this no, it's, like it's, it's, it's this sense of loss that we lo- we we took away our Disney princesses like like yeah that, it, like, it's it's there's like a it, it's, national it's like, uh, feeling yeah it's like European monarchies except there's less inbreeding and uh, more illiteracy 
like the <laughs> feels like that's that's kind of the only difference. Well, I mean, honestly, again, writing a book on Christopher Lash, I'm not, you know, I'm going to bring this up all the time because I'm a dirty, stinking plugger. But no, seriously, one of the things that I've noticed, he points out the old family names actually like really were an aristocracy by the end of the 19th century. And then what we have now is like a mockery even of that. So like most of our, our celebrity rich are new rich. Um, but there, there actually, there is in the United States, old power families that are aristocratic that are now 400 years old. And if you trace like a lot of our politicians, and, I, and again, sadly, it's usually crazy wackadoo right wingers who do this, but like Obama is related to George W. Bush. Like, because the, his white side of his family comes from a power family that traces itself back to the old New England families, just like the Bushes do. The first bourgeoisie here have effectively become aristocrats over the first 200 years of the of the nation's history, and they solidify. Here we have it. We have we have leftist confirmation about bloodlines. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> this is a great revelation. I tell you, yeah, I feel like you're going to get an email from Infowars pretty soon, Derek. <laughs> Yeah, what an invitation to go on Infowars. Oh shit! Maybe we could get some. Maybe we could get. Even the Marxists admit it now. <laughs> yeah, Alex, one if you're thing, listening. One thing I did not expect to hear today on the podcast was, <laughs> well, I haven't read the Tocqueville, but I have watched Beverly Hills Housewives. <laughs> what the fuck? We're nothing if not cultured, Tom. I mean, uh, give us some credit. Uh, it's I, the I millennial excuse for proper education. I, I will just say one thing about the whole thing about royal uh, American royalism is that most Americans were dragged kicking and screaming into opposing the crown in the revolution. That's true. And the ones who were actually anti-monarchist were a minority who were defeated. And, 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 and so it, it's, it's like, you know, it was circumstances that pushed them into separating yeah. from the British Empire. It was not a uh, strong ideological hatred of monarchy. No, well, yeah, they really yeah, they, they wanted to, they wanted to crown Washington. Yeah, they loved English gentlemen. They wanted to be just like English gentlemen, and they loved the king. Yeah, and I'll be honest yeah. with you, some of our least. Some of our least problematic founding fathers were basically fucking royalists, aka John Adams. Um, yeah. When I say least problematic, it's because he's the least sexist and thought slavery was wrong. Um, so, yeah. like, so I, I mean, I, I bring that up because that is a thing in the United States. And also, Kyle's right. Like the the anti the anti uh, monarchist were were basically the people who prompted the Articles of Confederation, and and in many ways, uh, William Appleman and Williams is right that the Constitution was a was a quasi royalist canal coup, like and and like um, yeah. Madison was trying, you know, Madison and even though it becomes a you know kind of aligned to the anti federalist later, um, and well, in the Democrats um, were were trying to kind of split the difference and create a society where you could have something like a king but it is not but it's still manifestation of popular real um and you had a very smart political thinker like george washington who would be like you know i'll take the powers but you can't call me your excellency yeah yeah and that was mostly one that that's the role of an individual in history if it wasn't for that we probably there would probably be like 
a literal I, monarch. But I mean, we have this tendency in the United States because we're always trying to pop up both on the mm-hmm. both on the U.S. liberal right and the U.S. liberal left a unitary executive that could stand above and beyond the legislature. Um, and you know. I mean, FDR operated on similar themes, you know, and it's just become a Republican thing since the war on terror. And probably Nixon. Yeah. Nixon's usually somewhere in the hinge and all this, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, to, to very last thing, and then we should get back to the text, but another reason for the judicial kind of hatred in the U.S., at least a good historical reason, is that the Bill of Rights, the Republican compromise for this, like, constitutional, like, quasi monarchist counter coup was basically gutted immediately by the courts that just seized on some ambiguities to, and they had to like refight to make the bill of rights apply to every state one by one individually to the states until the civil war. Yeah. The bill of rights did not apply to state governments until the civil war. The state's governments could do whatever the hell they wanted to until, until after 1865. So yeah, like pretty much through, through most of the history of the United States, the courts are unambiguously an anti-democratic institution and I don't know, liberals and, and leftists have lost their goddamn minds. <laughs> it's weird because it's basically only the Warren court in the sixties. that does anything like what they think it does. And that's, yes. that is a weird one-off in history that is trying literally trying to avoid kind of what they're afraid of as a, is an identitarian civil war. Like, yeah. They don't want to. They don't want Mark too. <laughs> like, it, it's it's hilarious. If you watch Democracy Now, I'd say fifty percent of their guests are lawyers. Is that right? It's like every <laughs> single one is a fucking lawyer. It's true. It's no, like, no. You're, you're yeah. right. Look, it's, the 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 Whigs won in America. Okay. <laughs> Whig party system. Oh. All right. Um. Let's like. What did that? What did any of that have to do with what I what I read? It has like, everything okay. to do with what you what what we what we're talking about, and nothing to do with the paragraphs. So let's move on. Okay, um, Emmanuel, how do you feel like putting some Swedish uh, Swedish honey on this? But the revolution is thoroughgoing. It is still traveling through purgatory. It does this. It it does its work methodically. By December second, eighteen fifty one, it had completed half of its preparatory work. Now it is completing the other half. It first completed the parliamentary power in order to be able to overthrow it. Now that it has achieved this, it completes the executive power, reduces it to its purest expression, isolates it, sets it up against itself as its sole target in order to concentrate all its forces of destruction against it. And when it has accomplished the second half of its preliminary work, Europe will will leap from its seat and exalt well-burrowed old mole. The executive power with its enormous bureaucratic and military organization, with its wide-ranging and ingenious state machinery, with a host of officials numbering half a million, besides an army of another half a million, this terrifying parasitic body which enmeshes the body of French society and chokes all its pores, sprang up in the time of the absolute monarchy, with the decay of the feudal system which it had helped to hasten. The senioral privileges of the landowners and towns became transformed into so many attributes of the state power, the feudal dignitaries into paid officials, and the motley patterns of conflicting medieval plenary powers into the regulated plan of a state authority whose work is divided and centralized as in a factory. 
the first French Revolution, with its task of breaking up all separate local, territorial, urban, and provincial powers in order to create the civil unity of the nation, was bound to develop what the monarchy had begun, centralization. But at the same time, the limits, the attributes, and the agents of the, go of the governmental power. Napoleon completed the state machinery. The legitimate monarchy and the July monarchy added nothing to it but a greater division of labor, increasing at the same rate as the, as the, as the division of labor inside the bourgeois society created new groups of interests, and therefore new material for the state administration. Every common interest was immediately severed from the society, countered by a higher general interest, snatched from the activities of society's members themselves and made an object of government activity. From a bridge, a schoolhouse, and the communal property of a village community, to the railroads, the national wealth, and the National University of France. Finally, the Parliamentary Republic, in its struggle against the revolution, found itself compelled to strengthen its means and the centralization of governmental power with repressive measures. All revolutions perfected this machine instead of breaking it. The parties, which alternately cont contended for domination, regarded the possession of this huge state structure as the chief spoils of the victor. Well, that's a, that's, that's yeah. a hell of a last two sentences. Let's reread them there again. All revolutions perfected this machine instead of breaking it. The parties which alternately contended for domination regarded the possession of this huge state structure as the chief spoils of the victor. Ouch. Which is why you're all Italians. I mean, that's true. Well, I mean, this even, this even reflects on like the latter angles. Mm -hmm. Like it's, uh, yeah, we were talking about last night how, how Angle said like, yeah, you can use the state levers to help the working class, but he still ultimately wanted to break the machine at right. the end of the day. Right. But it, yeah. And then, even I think did. also like breaking. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But I think also like, Breaking, breaking the state, like if you're a Leninist, right? Like you must break, break the uh, bourgeois state machinery is what he says in State and Revolution. Um, but it doesn't matter. Like what the, the state machinery throughout the subsequent, all the different like revolutions in France, technically it was broken, right? But then they just rebuilt it and made it more centralized every time until you get to this point where you have this farcical Bonaparte running shit and like robbing Peter to pay Paul and a grand societal uh, scale. So, you know, I think just gesturing towards breaking state machinery uh, isn't enough. And like, you know, I know, I know I dunk on anarchists a lot, but I think like we have to be like one step removed from anarchism to avoid these pitfalls. It, it, yeah. I mean, yeah. I actually agree with Wayne Price in some ways that um, the uh, platformist anarcho-Marxist, I mean, he's not, he would, he'd get mad if I called him a Marxist, but um, he's a Marxist. He agrees with capital and economics almost entirely. He's a lowercase um, M Marxist. Yeah. Um, but he says like Marx understood the class state, but in trying to stop the devastation of the social collapse that would come due to all the dependencies on the state, and also hold a coalition that still kind of believed in the state together that Marx, that Marx kind of tries to have his cake and eat it too in regards to the state machinery. Um, 
And I think in some ways there is this, this ambiguity does haunt Marxism because we're constantly redefining ways not to have to deal with it. And I know there's one justification for not immediately smashing the state. Um, you know, Douglas Lane was like, well, if you read the critique of the Goethe program um, in the part where there's still bourgeois, you know, bourgeois institutions and social forms that we haven't totally gotten rid of, if we get rid of the value form, we wouldn't necessarily get rid of the state. And, you know, the state will wither away because all the other apparatuses will, will, um, that support it will go away. Cause like, how can you have a state if you don't have taxes, et cetera? You know, how can you have a state if you don't have a monopoly on currency? Cause you're not using those kinds of currencies at all. Um, but it seems to me, we never, ever, I mean, ever get like, th this is still true that all revolutions perfected the machinery instead of breaking it. I mean, like when you look at like, like the Bolshevik revolution and I'm going to have some, some Soviet defenses come at me for this, but like, I think largely one of their biggest failures is they left a lot of the czarist apparatus together. Still, they just they just appropriated it for you know for for the working class supposedly and and but like like let, let's be honest like the um, the NKBD is based on the Aprichna. like it's not like they didn't really like get rid of even some of the forms that predated. Uh, what, what, what's the NKBD? Um. The Secret Service, the, the KGB, isn't it? Or the Secret Police. The Secret Police. Yeah. Oh, right. Check it, baby. Yeah, it's based on... Uh, uh, right, it, it, has, it has... That form goes back in Russia all the way to uh, Ivan um, Doskorovsky, Ivan the, you know, Ivan the Terrible, or Ivan the Awesome, depending on how you translate that from Russian. Um, <laughs> Ivan the tu Ivan the tubular. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, battles. but but like Stalin, Stalin, Stalin. You know, I know a lot of liberals make a lot of hay about this with Stalin, but it is true that Stalin like had a soft spot for for Ivan Dostoevsky because of the centralization of the state into this one figure and the creation of of like states within states and formal and informal heads, you know, like, cause I've like, at one point Ivan like has a government within the government, which rules the government. And like, you can actually see that in the Bolshevik and like some of the ways that, you know, the late, you know, high period Stalinism organized the Bolshevik central committee. So like they didn't smash it is what I'm saying. Like they, they started to, and then they didn't, they, in fact, they, they centralized it. And like, like you know, no matter your opinion on what the Soviet Union was, like if it was state capitalist, non, you know, non-form, whatever, you cannot deny that they created the state apparatus for a bourgeois, for a very kind of brutal and coarse bourgeois society to emerge in the, after 1992. Yeah, Speaking and, of and, the and centralization, the, decentralization thing. Uh, sorry, as we go ahead. No, yeah, like they also created a, a similar kind of like a hybrid, like czarist, like faux republican kind of form that was way less stable and like well thought out than the, than the American revolution, honestly. Um, like, you know, once the Soviets failed, like, or failed once they, once they were like, yeah, we're not actually going to use this as a, as a platform for government. And um, I don't know, it's always been sort of a, a mystery to me, like, especially when I was a Leninist, how like, yeah, but they like killed a bunch of them, like those, those aristocrats and they, they smashed the state apparatus. They proposed an alternate 
an alternative form, but it was really the road to like reconstructing everything from like like state orthodoxy and like, I don't know, like it's like the Bolsheviks, you know, they wanted to strike out against their father. And then one day they wake up and they're 40 and they're carving up Poland with Germany, you know, like, like you gotta grow up some point kid. Yeah. Like, like uh, it's, it's amazing to me how much of the czarist apparatus and like you're gesturing towards Derek when you're doing like a mode of production analysis, it's hard to figure out like how exactly the, that class dynamic squares with the old czarist kind of like, like feudal class dynamic. Um, but the state is obviously like a, a hybrid bourgeois czarist form. Uh, yeah. It's the Cossack Republic. It's the yeah. Cossack Republic. Oh, Lord. I, I've also heard similar things argued sincerely, even by some, some dissonant um, sinologists, that you have similar things with the relationship of the CCP standing in for, like, the imperial court in China, because a lot of the relations of, like, the rural peasantry in China actually does still mirror the relations to the official, like, imperial state and with like the, all these corrupt middle officials that are allowed to function under the state and then appeal. And then you can appeal to the mm -hmm. CCP as, as the mediator against like that. Those are like, even though like, I think ultimately China's like in some kind of weird hybrid bourgeois production form, like they, they still, like, none of these revolutions have actually rooted all, all of it out, which means at minimum they're incomplete. And in many ways they, they don't just, they're not just incomplete. They recapitulated in a worse form, you know, like the irony of the American revolution, right. As the people who are supposedly fighting for, for a form of economic Liberty, like create the most unequal society the world's ever known. Um, and that's true for all the bourgeois revolutions. And, and, and a, a, a pretty highly unfree society, frankly, there was much, there's much less incarceration in these late feudal, societies and there are and i mean the only people who got messed with in these late feudal society were like aristocrats who who opposed the the like you know they weren't they, they kill peasants but they weren't like doing all kinds of shenanigans to mass imprison peasants like that would get rid of your workforce so looking today right we've seen how like the parliament was destroyed by the executive power right and uh we've we've just witnessed like the crushing of like a uh, two left experiments in in america and the and and the uk and i don't know what it's like in uh, america so much but i can see in the uk here like the entire establishment of the bourgeoisie press is totally um like joined forces to defeat like corbynism or a mild social democrat kind of option here and like the tories now that are in power uh, know that the press won't be after them. So the level of corruption, like when I was growing up, we used in Ireland we used to look to England as being less corrupt than Ireland. Like Ireland was incredibly corrupt, you know, where our, like our leader was just like buying islands and shit. You know, he was like literally worth you know many, many, many millions with no income, and no one ever said anything. There's open corruption in Ireland. In the UK, it was. It, it was never it never seemed to us like that but now we've got like absolute open corruption in the tory party like 
uh, it seems like that 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 move of defeat has allowed uh, allowed say the Tories in England to be just openly corrupt, and the press won't go after them because the the uh, they're afraid of a renewal of a Corbyn or or something like that. Are, are we seeing like some kind of a degeneration of our current? Uh, kind of ruling class norms, like all of these scandals that have come out uh, over the coronavirus stuff in the UK, for given like no tender and uh, uh, no tender like uh, life, uh, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, contracts. contracts, contracts to to people uh, to uh, organisations that literally the companies don't even exist. Like it literally don't exist. They give them a hundred thirty million pound contract. They've only been incorporated two weeks. Are we going to? Are we seeing some kind of weird degeneration U- us side as well like you see the obvious yes and corrupt in yes the US. so like we have a, what yeah. does this mean what is what oh, does yeah. this mean for we us we always have well but the, the difference is now i think the difference though emmanuel is prior to to the last 10 years they were legal they were within the bounds of bourgeois legality like that was a major difference. Like if you wanted to talk about the difference between corruption in Latin America and corruption in the United States is corruption in Latin America was illegal and corruption in the United States was formal through lobbying and thus legal. However, we are now in the, in the case where even like it's become so obvious that there's no repercussions for it, that like pre quick quo quo and stuff, which has been, which priorly would just not be allowed because it because it took the legal the legal face off of the corruption endemic in the system like what you're seeing now is a lot of and i think is a lot of like the formality that made it okay just being being removed and being open um what i think is more fascinating about that to me i mean not just that it's happening and it's a sign of degeneration i mean all those things are true but that um what that means is is in some ways like bourgeois power can't can't figure out a way to legitimize itself and a lot of the liberal anger at at trump's gaucheness is anger at making a lot of the unspokenly i mean you know during the bush administration halliburton during i mean and and honestly democrats have done it too if you know how chicago works like it you you see to make all these unspoken, like we don't do this explicitly, we do it implicitly, just just out and out, you know, there. And the only thing that that uh, that stopped it priorly was basically norms and a few legal reforms after Watergate. And to be exposed, how much of the society, like like open corruption, was is just it's just like open now it it makes liberals mad but i think it sometimes makes them mad because it exposes how much was actually there before like i mean when you talk about like the crap that's happened in the us like um and i'm almost in like a like a weird anti-imperialist but it's kind of true like we've been doing that crap to other countries for for forever and what we're mad at what the liberals are mad at it's not that it's happening but it's happening at home like and so there's this way in which like things have broken open to the point where all this stuff is now undeniable and 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 it's also clear that no one can really do anything about it partly because i think if you really do i mean like i'm just going to say a name the hunter biden scandal does have a real scandal underneath it like i've seen liberals yep. try to like just kind of co- like flip that around but there's real scandal there um and and like 
it's just funny because basically it's it's the pot calling the kettle black. Except now the kettle's like not not just not only am I black, I'm gonna pay everything black. And yeah, I mean it's it's crazy what you're seeing, but it's also also true. Like we also know like useless political appointees are a huge thing and have been in government for a long time. But there's a there's supposed to be certain agencies where you bracket it off because they're too important, and that stopped. But the, the United States worked that way for most of its history. Like, like that's how you paid people off up until the 1930s is you gave them political appointments. Like, that's how it works. In Canada, we have the Senate, which exists, <laughs> it exists solely for the purposes of buying off uh, political uh, allies. Um, it's, it's an entire house of government for bribery. Um, so it, it's the replacement for the House of Lords. And uh, because we don't really have lords, we just have people who are friends of someone in power. Yeah, but like uh, the dynamic seems to me be a real obvious dynamic of uh, this, this, the actual ruling class kind of moving into an open kind of uh, like a, um, I'm not going to say degenerate, but like an, an open corruption phase. Uh, that's I, I think certainly like in looking at UK politics, like, for example, I don't know if any uh, UK minister has been made to resign of these Tory, this this recent government with scandal. Every week there's a scandal that I think in the past would have been resigning uh, scandals and would have had to have resigned. And it seems like that that the, it's going to this very crude and obviously kind of open, corrupt kind of a, a, a rule that harkens to me when I was reading this chapter, it, 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 it I don't know, it, it rhymed. Yeah. I mean, this is like the standard of corruption that was existing at, at this time in uh, France, for sure. Like you, you talk about like, you know, Bonaparte's kickbacks that he got as president or, like the ways that the bourgeoisie was using the legislature to enrich themselves. Like that shit was absolutely happening uh, at this period of time. And I, and it certainly didn't get any better once Bonaparte got into power, you know? Yeah, there's i I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to answer Tom's question with regards to like, you know, has it, does it seem like things have changed with regards to like, like with with regard to the Sanders campaign, I mean, I think uh, Corbyn is maybe in the mind's eye of the UK more than Sanders is here. It's almost like Sanders never existed, other than journalists being like, "Yeah, the socialists were defeated in the Democratic Party. These people are, you know." Anyway, like, um, but as far as like corruption being more uh, kind of like I don't know things that people would have gotten like destroyed for now being more commonplace. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and not a problem because people are more craven. It's a hundred percent on point. Yeah. Even in Canada, that's becoming an issue because like, uh, you know, Trudeau had this huge kickback scandal with his like friends and family. Uh, and kind of seems like he's just going to get away with it which is really not a thing that would have happened 20 years ago. The liberals would have been out and the Tories would have been in no matter how vile 
they would have been in government because people were just like, no, you just you you can't can't let them get away with that. I mean, blackface usually gets someone canceled, right? Like, that's a that's a cancel. That's like a, a, I think a fairly cancelable offense, right? I mean, like, you know, yeah. yeah I, I, like, I, 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 I'm not exactly sure that I. Uh, so so maybe maybe it's just because I I don't um I I haven't been following um international news as much as I should be but like it, it seems to me with all the shit that uh Thatcher had going on and and um with Halliburton and the Iraq war uh being obvious conflicts of of interests and uh, on on my own home turf um, uh, Lindeen Oil in the 1990s, uh, whose board member was the Swedish Prime Minister. Um, the, the an oil company that that essentially uh, funded um, war crimes and uh, terrorism in North Africa, um, uh, a terrorist organization which ended up kidnapping two Swedish journalists while. Uh, a member of the board who funded the terrorist organization was the actual PM. Um, th- th- no one raised an eyebrow uh, around that. And that was, that was 30 ish years ago now. Um, yeah. But the difference is it was in and, other countries and it was in other countries in the place of bourgeois law. Like, like I, I really like think like, like you're not wrong that you, about, about the difference in, about how corrupt the past regimes have been what what is different now and what people are mad about honestly is that it's no longer foreign soils it's no longer word profiteering and it's no it, it is right. now like stuff directly in the home country you're directly appointing political appointees to wreck uh, municipal services within the home country you're doing sure, yeah. you did, like like it's it's bringing it's bringing the bullshit yeah. home that's actually tri- that's a that's a fair point that's a fair point and it doesn't seem to be um, happening this, this as also... much in, in in central europe you know and, and you guys in sweden but like it, it, if you look at all the main powers i don't think it's oh, just oh, it's, happening. It's, it's definitely happening in central europe look at look at hungary and poland oh yeah that's true uh, I, but <laughs> yeah, that, but what about the, is that happening so, in the nordic countries though like i because we you know all we hear about the it, nordic countries it, it is, you is. Shit when, is you shit rainbows and you're really you're probably really communist but it's good um yeah no, and, no um <laughs> i mean um it, it is happening here and uh i mean we can we can talk about that all night long if, another day, uh, another if, day. If, 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 if we want to the uh the, the only thing i i would like to to sort of add to that is like this is this is kind of um, kind of what what my what my day job is. So th- this is this is um, like uh, um, European Union public procurement law um, is one of one of the things that I that I work with, and it's designed. I mean, it's it's uh, it's maligned uh, at least in Sweden, both from left and right. Uh, the right wing pro free market. Um, libertarian wing hates it because um, it uh, because it very effectively combats corruption, um, which is kind of what worries me when the UK uh, leaves the European Union. Depending on 
depending on the agreement, um, if if they get around the protections that are in place now, vis-a-vis how governments can issue contracts to to uh, to um, uh, private organizations and private corporations, if they loosen up that legislation, you're, you're going to see a lot more of this because the legislature, as it as it is, is pretty watertight. It is it is. It has a lot of backsides, but what it is extremely good at is combating this this type of corruption. Well, and, is, uh, is Europe going to bomb the, the UK to enforce its agreement? Because if it's not, you've already lost. I fucking hope so. <laughs> if, well, not, if not, I'll get my brothers at home. I'll get them on the job again. Yeah, we can't get them with the treaty. Yeah. So, but 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 I mean, there, there's there's a larger point here because that that same law, while it does almost make it impossible for nepotism and and uh, rich people knowing each other, that kind of corruption, what it does is it very effectively uh, empowers the bourgeoisie as a class. So it's very effective against corruption on the individual level or on the corporate level, but really does the way it does that is by essentially enforcing an extreme form of of, of free marketism and so i i guess that kind of brings us back back to marx and his points about the bourgeoisie and the aristocracy being kind of enemies but also kind of not right I mean, I, I think that's a that's, that's a brilliant point, and I think that's also why in America you see a lot of the biggest opposition to Trumpism is from the biggest corporations. My my brother, you know, who's you know a liberal Democrat, was literally coming to me the other day, and he he was like, you know what? These days, I think the people the, the people fighting for the people in America is the largest corporations, the the small corporations and the unions and everything else don't seem to be able to do anything. And everybody else, everybody else seems to be benefiting from the grift around Trump. And I, and I was like, that's the wrong way to read that. But I know why you would, because the, the large corporations are mostly actually in rentier systems and all this stuff where rule of law is really important to their business model. And that's also kind of why, like, uh, we talked about this in the other day, but kind of why there's this class interest in, in like, a, a state that's not parasitic. It's also interesting. Maybe we should go to because this will actually be relevant to the next section. Can we go to the next section, Tom? Let's do it. I was just going to bring us in. Yeah, okay. you're just highlighting the, the, the funny passage. This terrifying parasitic body, which it enmeshes the body of French society and chokes all its pores. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but Marx, Marx is pro state though. Like that's that's for me. Like this, like <laughs> that, that sentence there. It's like any any socialist communist movement that's worth its name has to have that as a part of its core understanding, and it has to have actual fucking plans and ideas about how we can dismantle the state. As in, and not just a wishy-washy dismantle the state. It'll fix slogan. itself, Tom. It'll fix itself. It'll, yeah, it'll fix itself. You make it strong enough, and then it'll just... It'll just end. die. So what yeah. you do is you just, you just smash it, and we'll just cooperate. Don't worry about it. Don't yeah. think about yeah. it. We'll just cooperate. Or wait, we'll smash it, and then immediately build it back, because we miss it. Thank you.
On this episode, you heard the theme tune The Order of the Pharaonic Jesters and Night of the Purple Moon by Sun Ra and his orchestra. The artwork for the show was created by the Korean artist and author of the 2019 Marx Engels illustration book. You can check out links to his work and Twitter account in the show notes. Thank you for listening and please join me for the next episode of From Alpha to Omega. This show is a member of the Emancipation Network, a Marxist podcast and research collective. Make sure to check out our network sister podcasts, General Intellect Unit, Jumpsuit Utopia, Mortal Science and Swampside Chats. And if you'd like to help out the show, please remember to head over to Patreon and throw me a few commie dollars.